Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 BC, Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, in early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the war for independence? 1830. Be holy as God is holy. How political was Second Great Awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954. Was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963. I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political, or were they just being biblical? Biblical or political? Today we're going to speak on biblical citizenship. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, I exhort first of all, well, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to back up to look at the context to see what it's there for. So let's back up a couple verses in the previous chapter. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. What is he talking about? Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this young man had received prophecies, no doubt with a laying on of hands, concerning his ministry, and he was to fight according to these promises from God. A parallel passage to this is in the first few verses of Acts chapter 13, where leaders of the church in Antioch, Syria, were praying and fasting, and the Lord spoke and said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, whereunto the work for which I have called them. They laid hands on them and sent them out to evangelize and plant churches in that part of the world. So that was laying on of hands, an impartation of prophecy, 
a commissioning, no doubt a confirmation of what they were already praying about doing. And the time came for release, and they went forward. So Timothy is being reminded of the prophecies he had received. We're not privy to what they exactly were, but no doubt it was to leadership. And he was being encouraged as Paul's spiritual son to wage a good warfare, to to not sit back and be lackadaisical, but to push forward according to his calling that had been confirmed prophetically. Now, Hymenius and Alexander, I'm not sure what they did, but they obviously had pulled back, were resisting God's will being done in Timothy's life or even in their own life. And so Paul was releasing them to Satan, which is another way of saying, just praying, God, you take care of them and uh, don't protect them for a while so they'll learn. You burn, you learn. Amen. Therefore, the next verse, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, that's an official petition, prayers, that's an appeal to God, intercessions, that's, being, that's praying on behalf of someone else, standing in their place, praying for them. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That is intercession. When we get back to uh, Abram in Genesis 18, he appeals to God on behalf of Sodom. Lord, if there's if there's 50 righteous, would you give mercy? If there's 45, he walked them all the way down to 10. Which he, he's standing in a place of intercession for that wicked community. So here we are to, first of all, based on the prophecies we received, based on our callings, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Can we say everybody? So we're supposed to pray for everyone. Even your least favorite person needs your prayer. For kings and all who are in authority. Can we say government? Law enforcement. Your, uh, your homeowners association. <laughs> that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we need to pray for peace in our nation, in our community, order in our neighborhoods. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men, can we say everybody, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it's God's will that he depends on us to cry out to him to pray. Do you have a list of unsaved people that you're praying for? If you don't, start making one. Do you have a list of people in authority that need our prayers? By all means, pray. Regardless of how Tuesday turns out, which it's not going to turn out on Tuesday, maybe Thursday or Friday, pray for those people. Amen? Because God desires all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. And here's the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. He died for everyone. To be testified in due time, for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So we're to pray for everyone that they could 
hear the truth. And while God doesn't override people's will and save them against them calling out to him, he can bring them to a place of surrender. He can give wake-up calls. Who's ever gotten a wake-up call from God? He can do that, and so we can pray in that endeavor. We're called to that like Paul is called. Next verse, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. Can we say everybody? Everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In this time of distraction, it's important that we guard our hearts against anger because angry prayers are not God's will. Well, doesn't God get angry? Yes, he does, but his anger is always righteous. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and his anger is but for a moment. Otherwise, we would roast, amen? Thank God for his temporary anger that brings us to our senses. So it's his will that we pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. For angry, we'll lock ourselves into a position of unbelief and That doesn't work with prayer. We pray in faith, amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray for your word to be heard today in such a way it would change our lives, would change our thinking, and even change the way we pray, vote, and live as American citizens. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points on biblical citizenship. As believers, we have dual citizenships. We have citizenship on earth and citizenship in heaven. One is an eternal, never-ending citizenship, and one is temporal, related to our earthly life. Ephesians 2, 19, Paul said, You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There was a time when we were not citizens in the kingdom of God. But thank God for the day he translated us out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his son. This does not mean we're no longer earthly citizens. You know, we can be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. This means we are now also heavenly citizens. And of course, one trumps the other one, more important. In Philippians, he wrote, chapter 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the work, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So our heavenly citizenship is going to result in our receiving a heavenly body. Isn't that going to be awesome? Creation is groaning for that day. The Holy Spirit is groaning for that day. And the longer we live, our bodies will begin to groan for that day. As earthly citizens, we have godly purposes. Now that we're citizens of heaven, we still have a purpose to fulfill in our earthly citizenship. This is why the preacher brings you up out of the water in baptism, doesn't leave you under the water, to walk in the newness of life in this earth realm. 
Romans 13, we are told to render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So as citizens, we have a responsibility. This was written to citizens of the Roman Empire. In fact, citizens of the capital of the Roman Empire. And so as citizens of God's kingdom, they have responsibility to serve in the earth kingdom, which includes paying taxes, yes, and doing those things provided they're not sinful, but respectful, customs and fear or respect and honor. Here we just read it a while ago. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's everybody. And then especially, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. In this season of conflict, never forget that earth is our harvest field. If we win all of our political desires and forget that lost people need Jesus, We have been distracted from our earthly purpose. And the third point, as Americans, we have freedoms to steward. Not only am I an earthly citizen, but we have been blessed with citizenship in the United States of America. It's an incredible blessing. And when God gives you a blessing, you take care of it. You steward it. You function according to the law and and even fight for justice when the time comes, protest when the time comes, vote when the time comes, pay taxes when the time comes, but trust me, you're in the most blessed nation in the world with all of our problems. And so as citizens, we have a responsibility to help, help facilitate the continuation of this land that has been called the Great Experiment. The Declaration of Independence, signed on July 4th, 1776, opens, and in the opening includes these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. While these men risked their lives to sign this document, they believed it for themselves, but not necessarily for everybody else. Some of them were slave owners. But even the fact that their lives were not completely in order with this does not negate the fact these words are very important for the places that our nation holds in the world. It continues... That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And so this being our roots, we uh, need to be faithful to understand that our consent is involved, and so we've got to let our voices be heard. Phone calls, letters, functioning as citizens. It goes on to say that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute 
new government. So as Americans, we have freedoms to steward. And if there needs to be a change, there's ways to go about it legally in our government. As Americans, we have freedoms to protect. Our Constitution begins, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution. As Americans, we have freedoms to protect, and the Constitution, if it needs to be changed, there's a way to change that. And it's not through the Supreme Court, but it's through elected officials, not appointed legal bureaucrats. It's the way it's set up. And so we must function as citizens. Maybe God is calling you to run for office. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, you have a responsibility. What is the Lord speaking to you to do? As Americans, we have freedoms to exercise, freedoms that are in the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law, this is the First Amendment, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That doesn't mean that our government can institute laws where religion can only be practiced in the walls of a church. Religion is not just a Sunday morning thing. It impacts our whole lives, right? So Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So this is the right to protest peacefully. So as Americans, we have freedoms to protect, freedoms to steward, and freedoms to exercise. So that brings us to November 3rd. Already in the state of Texas, more people have voted in early voting than voted in the whole election in 2016. So chances are a significant number of people in this room have already voted. But if you're an undecided voter, I'm reaching out to you today. Let's put personality to the side. All right? Let's um, not think about who we would like to play miniature golf with the most out of the candidates and look at their party platforms. I have here both party platforms. I read the Republican one four years ago because it hasn't changed. It's still the same platform as 2016. So if it was good then, why wouldn't it be good now? The Democratic Party has a new platform. I have it here. If you'd like to read it, it's over 90 pages. You can come and take a look or even take it home with you if you'd like. In the foyer by the bulletin boards is a small stack of comparisons between the two platforms, which I hope to do today. The 2020 platforms, RNC will stand for the Republican National Convention and the DNC will stand for the Democratic National Convention. So, the Republican Convention 
their party platform says, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We'll appoint judges who will support sanctity of life at all stages, opposes the use of public funds to perform or promote abortion or to fund organizations like Planned Parenthood. This one is very near and dear to my own heart. I fell into sin in 1977 and got my girlfriend pregnant. And we were in a country where it was not legal. And to get an abortion, which was something her father wanted to be done, she would have to fly out of the country and go to another country. So that fact in itself gave me some time to appeal to his authority and promise to take good care of his daughter, which I've done for 42-plus years. Amen. And so our daughter, who has a doctorate in nursing practices, delivers babies as a certified midwife at Harris Methodist Hospital downtown. Thank God for his mercy. He's able to take our mess and make a message, our test and make a testimony, our trial, whether self-inflicted or not, bring triumph. The DNC says that they are committed to protecting and advancing reproductive health. What in the world? Rights and justice, so that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We will restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood, which provides vital, preventive, and reproductive health care for millions of people. If you think Planned Parenthood is a good thing, look at their roots. They exist to make sure minorities stay minorities. You talk about white supremacy, it's all over that organization. Another thing that I think is important, foremost, the RNC wrote, foremost among those institutions is the American family. It is the foundation of civil society and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. The data and facts lead to an inescapable conclusion. Every child deserves a married mom and dad. Now, this isn't to offend single parents, but this is to lift up the importance of children having fathers. And so as a church, we exist not only to help encourage parents, but we exist to help fill in the gaps. Maybe you're a single father or a single mom, and God knows that other men in the church can help be that father, help be that mother that needs to be. Who remembers Pastor Shake? He was raised with a father that denied being his father, but his mom had him in a church where there were numerous men that were fathers in his life, and he became the mighty man of God that he is today because of the fathers in his life. The DNC says that they will advance the ability of all persons to live with dignity, security, and respect regardless of who they are or who they love. And it will restore U.S. leadership on LGBTQ plus issues. What does that mean? It means to apply pressure to LGBTQ plus issues in other countries 
to the point of withholding aid from them. This is what they've done with abortion. Withhold aid from countries that are pro-life. Another thing I thought was important is the RNC says we will continue our fight for school choice until all parents can find good, safe schools for their children. Parents are a child's first and foremost educators and have primary responsibility for the education of their children. Parents have a right to direct their children's education, care, and upbringing. And I say a big amen. How can we help that take place? The DNC says education is a critical public good, not a commodity, okay? And that it is the government's responsibility to ensure that every child everywhere is able to receive a world-class education that enables them to lead meaningful lives no matter their race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, national origin, religion, disability, language, or citizenship status. That all looks good, but I tell you, in the real world, there are some public school districts that are horrible. Well, they need more money. Well, they're corrupt. That money's going to go down a hole. Competition is good, isn't it? Hadn't the post office gotten better since FedEx came on the scene and DHS and others? Well, let's, let's, let's move forward. <laughs> Competition is good. It just is. And there ought to be a way for people who are poor, who have uh, things that would hinder them from a private school education, there ought to be a way to help them do that. So charter schools is a good thing. Some school districts have been taken hostage by their teachers' unions. Did you see the the list of demands the Los Angeles Area Teachers Union had before they would stop being on strike. Things like defunding the police and other things. That's like That has nothing to do with educating children. World-class education, I agree with that. Unequivocal support for Israel. This is the RNC. They're considered the only country in the Middle East sharing essential U.S. values of freedom of religion, and speech committed to Israel's security will ensure they have strong military edge over their adversaries, and they're against the, the boycott, divestment, the BDS movement, which is to hurt uh, Israel's exports, and recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. The DNC says they believe a strong Israel is vital to U.S. interest, will always support Israel's right to defend itself, and will ensure they have a strong military edge in the region. And they also oppose the boycott and divest movement. Uh, they recognize Jerusalem as the capital. They've been saying that for years, but never did anything about it until the latest administration moved our embassy there. And they support a negotiated two-state solution for Israel and Palestine. Good luck with that. If Israel gives up what's called the West Bank, they're being very foolish. They gave up Gaza, remember? And look at what a pain Gaza has become to them. It's just another point of attack their land. The RNC says full religious liberty at all times, everywhere. Not being imposed within the walls of a church. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans 
and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. We endorse the First Amendment Defense Act, which is legislation which will bar discrimination against those who act on their beliefs, especially regarding marriage. I believe that if you are bakers, you should bake cakes for all people. But if there is an event you're approached to make cakes for that goes against your religious beliefs, as an American, you should have the freedom to say no. The DNC says religious freedom is a core value of the Democratic Party. They will protect the rights of each American for the free exercise of his or her own religion and will advocate for religious freedom throughout the world. Democrats recognize the paramount importance of maintaining the separation between church and state enshrined in our Constitution. It's not mentioned in the Constitution. That lie has been pushed on us for decades. Separation of church and state came from a letter that Jefferson wrote some Baptist. <laughs> a letter, not even a government document. Anyway, moving right along. The RNC says, we embrace the principle that all Americans should be treated with dignity and respect. We support measures barring government discrimination because of one's views on marriage and family. And they support the right of parents to determine the proper medical treatment and therapy for their minor children. The DNC says that they will restore non-discrimination protections in health insurance. You hear all about pre-existing conditions? Look where it's being applied. In health insurance, including coverage of all medically necessary care for gender transition. So if a person has gender dysphoria, and a man thinks he's a woman, that's a pre-existing condition, and the government has to take care of that. We will also take action to guarantee that LGBTQ plus people have full access to needed health care, of course, requiring that federal health plans provide coverage, including gender confirmation surgery. Notice how they've gone from gender transition to now gender confirmation surgery. In other words, this surgery is going to confirm that you're really a woman. It doesn't change your DNA. It doesn't change your chromosomes. It's just a manipulation of the external things. What has happened to professional counseling in this country? People come to a counselor with their problems, and they're to help them see the world from a healthy viewpoint. So somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I feel like I'm a millionaire. I identify as a multimillionaire. Who would like to identify with that? Well, get you an MBA and go to work. But there's no surgery to shortcut that. The point is relevant. It is. It's a one thing to get a tattoo and regret it and then get it burned off and go through that pain. That's one thing. 
It's one thing to wear bell-bottom pants because it's a cool thing to do, and then when the styles change, laugh at your old picture. But these are surgeries that are going to jack your body up. This is mutilation. And one of our political parties is pushing for funding this. Pre-existing condition. Your taxes should help. Your insurance payment should help. This kind of thing happen. Well, Pastor, you're very cruel. No, I think I'm very kind. Someone comes to me with a perspective on life that is twisted, that's not right. You do not help them by confirming them surgically with a deception that's got a hold of them. And it is a certain amount of a fad that's going on right now. And people that have done it and stopped and have regrets, their testimony is being suppressed. And it's a hijacking of the hard work of the civil rights movement. I'm sorry, it just is. Martin Luther King did not give his life to confirm foolishness. It's an insult. The feminist movement exists because women were really mistreated in this country and still are. But now a guy can say, I'm a woman and compete in women's sports and beat them all? Just, it's dumb. Sorry. All right, RNC, finally, says that they oppose the reshaping of our schools and an entire society to fit the mold of an ideology alien to America's history and traditions. The DNC says we will work to guarantee transgender students access to facilities based on their gender identity. Even before there's hormone treatments or surgeries, a guy will be able to say, I feel like a girl today. There's a thing called uh, uh, gender fluidity. You know why it's dumb? Why I know it's dumb? I used to go to junior high. It, we are opening the door to total insanity. Insanity. This is going to make a mockery of the Me Too movement. This is just going to open the door to all kinds of things. Chaos, which will create the culture being more dependent on the government. It's counter to the Constitution anyway. So, where do you stand? Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here that has not yet voted. I pray, Lord, they would take a look at the platforms. They find the personalities disturbing, Lord. May they look at the platforms and think about where our country is heading. Lord, think about beyond four years from now what needs to happen, what needs to stop. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your blessing to us as Americans. Help us to be responsible citizens. Lord, I pray that not one member in this room today does not vote. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as citizens, we are called to pray, and we have the freedom to assemble, do we not? And so there's a prayer rally. It's not a protest, but it's a prayer rally. We had one two years ago. We had one four years ago called One Nation Under God. It's at Hewlett Park, which is across the street from the Hilton Garden Inn. If you're able to go, it's early. It's early this time. It's from 2.30 
to 4. So grab some lunch and then come join us with brothers and sisters from across our county. Watch this. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. America today is empty and fearful and angry. We are empty because the world is failing us and our desires are not being met. We are fearful, we're afraid of everything from COVID-19 to violence in our cities, to uncontrolled immigration, to who's gonna be the next president. This emptiness and fearfulness is leading us to be angry, lashing out at one another, lashing out at God, lashing out at anyone whom we can hit. This emptiness and fearfulness and anger is tearing us apart. I believe that God desires for our nation, especially the church, to repent. In order for that to happen, His church really does have to get back to believe in Him, to trust in Him. And I just think that's what He's calling us you may be asking, well, what can we do? The answer is found in Scripture. We can humble ourselves and we can pray. See, we can unite together as churches, be in one nation under God. We are America and it is time for the church to take the lead in asking God for forgiveness and for Him to bless our land. The Hood County Pastor Council and the Hood County Prayer Task Force would like you to join the One Nation Under God prayer campaign that will begin later this month. This is a movement of prayer where many of the churches in Hood County unite together as one body. The One Nation Under God prayer campaign will include 21 days of prayer and fasting and daily email devotionals. It'll wrap up with a worship and prayer gathering on November 1st at Hewlett Park in Granbury with all the churches participating. It's important for our churches to come together to show the world, to show our community that as believers in Christ, we've been changed and that this change is something that's available to them. God desires for us to come together as Christ followers and do what he asked us to do, to pray. I'm looking forward to uh, the most on this One Nation Under God campaign is for our churches to come together and we've been praying for revival for many years, and I believe this is one of the key elements in us coming together as the church and seeing things happen. I'm looking forward to seeing the church in Hood County be revived, be refreshed, and to be the church that God has called us to be. Please be in prayer for this movement and get ready for the Lord to unite us as one nation under God. Draw me close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend 
face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And if I offended you in any way, come talk to me. God bless you. Go get him, tigers. Jesus Help me know you are near. Help me know you are here. Help me.